Good morning to those of you who are online. Uh, those of you joining us from a home campus, quick update. I'm sure you're well aware, uh, but if you're watching or engaging from a home campus today, there was new guidance for Ottawa, actually for all of Ontario. And so how we love our neighbors is we ensure, we make sure that again, that if you're at a home campus right now, everybody is being COVID-wise. If you're gathering with people who are not in your bubble, but there cannot be more than 10 people inside or 25 people outside. And so we as Life Center honor the authority that God has over us and how we love our neighbors being a good witness in this time and in this season. So please, home campuses, nobody at Life Center, nobody pushes that boundary. We go well under it so that we can be a blessing and honor to our community. I want to continue talking today about us living more like Jesus. And uh, there's a researcher uh, named Dr. Gottman who studies marriages and he talks about these really small things called bids. And the, in thriving marriages, the healthy couples respond to 70, per, a little upwards of 70%. If a couple of marriages healthy, they respond to 70 to 80% of these little, little bids. And a little bid could be just literally the touch of a leg or a warm text or staying engaged in a tough conversation. Uh, small moments that lead to really healthy relationships. I'm not speaking about marriage today. But I think you can extrapolate that a little bit in terms of looking at friendships and just relationships that we engage in one with another. Because to live more like Jesus, it's not only the sea-splitting moments or when the clouds part and a word is spoken. It's, it's actually not, daily life is not these really large things. It's here's the paradox that we find ourselves living in is to live more like Jesus, there are these little cues and these little clues, these little bids from, the God, of, from God of heaven speaking to our hearts and lives. God, how many of you know that God speaks in a small, still voice? You know, Graham Cook is a wonderful prophetic individual, and he often says this, that God seldom responds to us at the decibel level that we call out to him. You and I can call out to God in this season, like, where are you? At the top of our voice, and God responds with, I'm he seldom responds to us at the level at which we often call out. There is this small, still voice in which God speaks. And this, this is very challenging in the season that we find ourselves in because the world that you and I live in right now is very, very noisy. And one of the things that's getting choked more and more and more is just the ability to hear God's still, small voice. In fact, some of the things that we go through make our insides so noisy. Our anxieties, our fears, all of these things, they get so loud. The approval of others gets so loud on the inside of our hearts that God is speaking and we can be calling out, why are you silent? Why are you silent? Yet there are these cues and clues that are all around us every single day. It is Jesus often says, we need eyes to see and ears to hear. Why? Because he is saying things. He is doing things. He is showing things. It is that we need eyes of faith and ears to be able to hear what it is that he's doing. As I read these two things that Jesus said, I want you to listen for a single element in its clarity of purpose. John 10, 10, 11, Jesus said this, I came, this, listen to the clarity of purpose. I came that they may have life and that they may have it abundantly. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10.10, 10, Jesus was very clear. Why have I come? I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. John 5.19, here's what Jesus said earlier. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For the father does that the son does likewise. 
Jesus knew why he showed up. He had clarity of purpose. And Jesus had something that you and I will never have. We can have clarity of purpose, but we will never have perfection in purpose. Only Jesus had that. Only Jesus had both clarity of purpose of why he came, but also perfection of purpose in terms of how he executed it, how he walked it out. For you and for I, we need clarity of purpose, but we will never have perfection in walking out our purpose. The discovery, again, of this is a lifelong pursuit for clarity, but not for perfection. And so to live more like Jesus, here's what I believe wholeheartedly we need in 2020, absolutely vitally. Where we get it right, we need to give God glory. And where we get it wrong, we need to be quick to be humble, to confess to repent. It may not repair everything, but at least it puts a relationship on a trajectory where, where actually reconciliation can take place one day. Achieving clarity is being willing to follow these clues and these cues that the Holy Spirit is sending your way and sending my way. So what are some of the clues that we can see that God uses in the Bible? Well, they may not be always the spectacular signs that you and I think about, In fact, God often used ordinary things, just piquing someone's interest or curiosity. Did you know that pain can be a very, very destructive or pain can actually be a very powerful clue that God wants you to lean in here and see something, him do something redemptive. I want to talk about a couple of Old Testament cues and clues today, and then I want to lead into a few New Testament ones, just as we continue to set, how did Jesus live? How did he know to engage? So again, he came that everybody could have life and have it more abundantly. So I want you to think about every time Jesus confronts a religious leader, he's not doing it out of anger. He is not doing it from a space of like, they're just annoying me. He's actually leading them to abundant life. He is leading them out of love to say, this isn't the way, there's a better way. When a woman is thrown at his feet, or he's sees a tax collector and he calls. Jesus was absolutely remarkable. Whoever you think you would never associate with, Jesus did. Jesus could care less about our opinions. He absolutely engaged people. Why? Because he came at every single one, at every single one could experience abundant life, but he also had clarity of purpose in that I'm not just gonna do whatever I want, I'm only gonna do that which the Father calls me to do. And so there's some of you watching today that you may be getting burnt out because you picked up a burden that God never called you to pick up. You picked up something that is good, but not necessarily God fit for your life. You're, you're wearing a suit that is like, it's like you're wearing someone else's armor or someone else's suit and it's just, it just doesn't fit who you are. In the book of Nehemiah, there's someone by the name of Nehemiah. And here's what it says in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. They said to me, the remnant there is in the province who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Walls in the Old Testament were for protection from without, but also gave identity to a nation, to a city, I should say, from within. It says the walls are broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And it says, as soon as I heard these words, so Nehemiah doesn't even see it. As soon as he hears it, he says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. How beautiful. As soon as I heard it, as soon as I heard that something was broken, as soon as I heard it's something that was, that shouldn't be, here's what Nehemiah did. His heart was moved by it. What's the next thing he did? He posted on Twitter. He posted on Facebook. He began to rally people. No, 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 no. As soon as he saw that, his heart was broken. He began to fast and pray, God, what would you have me do? Oh, what we could learn from Nehemiah today. As soon as we feel brokenness, we have this propensity 
to want to post, but we need to actually sometimes learn how to pray before we post. Nehemiah prays, and the pain, just the pain of hearing the state of Jerusalem was enough for Nehemiah to chase this divine clue towards his purpose in rebuilding the wall. There's another person in the Old Testament. His name is David, King David. And one day his father said to him, can you just bring lunch to your brothers? They're on the battle line. Can you just bring them lunch? A menial task. He sends him on an errand. Can you go to the dry cleaners? Just an errand, just a a routine errand. And all of a sudden, the scripture says that he talked with them. David shows up, he brings the lunch, he's talking with his brothers. And behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, over and over and over and over and over again. And it says that David heard them. Everybody else heard them, but David heard them differently. So God places this little cue moment, this little cue clue moment. Those are very hard words to say together. But he places these moments in the ordinary. Hey, just go bring lunch. How many of you know that when you discover your purpose, most of us don't actually believe it's going to be found? Like, how did you discover your purpose? I just brought somebody lunch. doesn't feel like someone would write a book about that. Like, I saw this thing and there was injustice everywhere. Hey, I just brought someone lunch and I just heard something that I couldn't get out of here. And all of a sudden, purpose begins. Look at the skies didn't part. There was no voice like, this is my beloved son. There was no voice like, this is the way. Now, David had some pretty extraordinary things happen earlier. Yes, granted. But in this moment, 1 Samuel 17, all he did was hear Goliath defy the God of Israel. And it was enough for him to go, "Mm, maybe I'm not just here for lunch. Right? In the Old Testament, there's a woman by the name of Ruth. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do to me, do so to me. And more also, if anything but death parts from me, parts me from you. This is when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her. She said, no more. There was a woman named Naomi, who had lost everything and was destitute. And her daughter-in-law, Ruth, was with her. And all Ruth did, if you know the story of Ruth, Ruth engaging here, she's going to meet a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz is going to bring redemption to the family. And Ruth then is in the lineage of Jesus. But where does this purpose start? Once again, it just starts with a moment of loyalty. When she sees her mother-in-law, Ruth, sees Naomi and realizes that she is destitute because in this culture and in this time, she needed a man, they needed some kingsman redeemer, all of these things. She needed this. And Naomi couldn't change the whole system and the structure. She couldn't do that. But one thing she could do, she could plant herself beside Ruth and say, here's what I can do. Here's all the power I have. I can actually walk with you. And if it means you die, I die with you. If it means me taking on your God, I'll take on your God. What it means is, The one thing I can do, Naomi, is in this life, all of this hardships exist, but one thing I can lift, this one thing, you're not gonna do it alone. And God uses that small step, that that step again that is just in the ordinary moment. God 
uses it. Last year, I was at the Global Leadership Summit, and I had an aha moment, a defining moment, listening to a speaker named Liz Bohannon. As she spoke about the journey of her life to starting Seiko Designs, she has a book called Beginner's Pluck, and uh, it's a wonderful little book. Um, there's nothing little about it. It's a wonderful book, period, full stop. Uh, but here's what she says. Liz Bohannon in her book, again, Beginner's Pluck, says this, dream small. When you, have finally found, when you finally have the freedom to dream small, you're no longer under the weight of either the big dream itself or the pressure you feel even to have a big dream in the first place. Learn to dream so small. Like Nehemiah with a broken wall, learn to dream one brick at a time, one burden at a time. Like David, learn to dream one defiant. What did I hear? What, what's going on there? One defiant moment, one obedient step of I'll bring lunch. Learn to dream this small. Being more like Jesus is not always the, spectac the spectacular things that we think it is. It's oftentimes, in fact, most of our lives, it's in the ordinary, it's in the mundane, it's in these little moments of pain that there are cues and clues that God has for me and God has for you. If all we're looking for are the skies that are parting and the seas that are parting, if that's the only thing we attribute to God moving in our hearts and lives, then we miss the gold all around us every single day. There are these little moments. There's these little, little moments. And here's what happens when dreams get really, 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 really small. They wedge us into corners where we are forced to be obedient or disobedient. Look, Ruth didn't have a dream to see Naomi and the entire system of oppression crushing her broken. She just had a dream small enough that here's this one thing I can do. It's going to cost me a lot, but I can stand shoulder to shoulder with you in this moment. Now, God had bigger plans, and God did extraordinary things for Nehemiah. For Nehemiah, again, it wasn't just, I want to rebuild the wall in this grand vision. That's going to come, but it starts with being burdened enough to care for the plight of others. His heart begins to move. For David, again, it's just, going on an errand. But as we go on an errand, are we caught in our own worlds or are we open to what God wants to do in the world through us? Are we open to how God wants to move in our hearts and in our lives? Again, all had the courage to chase this divine clue. And in doing so, they came face to face with this cue. Now, a cue has many different names. It can be a defining moment or as Oprah would say, an aha moment. All right, some of you are good Oprah fans. As soon as I said that, you went, hmm, that's okay. You're still welcome. We're one church. A cue is never planned on your calendar. That is what's things amazing. A cue is never planned on your calendar, but it is created in time. It is created in people and places by God. I did not know one summer day that that was the day that I was going to meet a girl that would forever change the trajectory and the course of my life. And that girl's name was Belinda. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just, just, a little just, a little, just a little joking. Thank you. No, I had no idea. I had no idea. One day when my father sat me down and began to speak about that there was a transition coming, I had no idea. That day was not on my calendar. I had not on my calendar. When Lori brought me a little pea stick. Not for, not for me, but it had this little X or so like cross on it or whatever it was. It was two lines. I don't quite remember what it was. I think I blanked out after that. Um, 
but it changed my life. There are things that I have in my heart that I didn't know there were certain days that I was going to wake up and that was going to be the day that a relationship was going to end, that a betrayal was going to come, that I was going to say something or do something that was just, where did that come from? Not one of those days. Going back to those pea sticks, I, I also didn't remember that there was going to be other days where Lori was going to bring me another one and then another one and then a fourth one. That the old joke, pastor joke here is she, she loves me so much she can't keep her hands off me. But it's not true. It's the other way around. I remember when I told my father that we were having four kids. He didn't say congratulations. He said, he said by God, son, leave the woman alone. <laughs> Up to Lori, though, we would have had 15 kids. So there you go. I hope that was a bid. Maybe more of a bite, but we'll see. Okay. Y'all are really quiet out there. That was just quite a moment. I think I just had a moment there, and then I'm just going to keep going if that's okay. I'll process that in therapy a little bit later. Thank you very much. All I'm saying is that a cue is never planned on your calendar, but it is created by God. Why can so many of us miss our cues? Again, because you know why what I've discovered in my life is actually the really good ones just come disguised as really hard, unglamorous work. How many of rebuilding the wall is a wonderful dream until you realize that means moving a lot of bricks? And it means a lot of criticism. You know the story of Nehemiah. It was filled and rife with criticism. In fact, not even criticism from the outside. That's one thing. It's criticized criticism from your closest friends. That's painful stuff. And sometimes when we engage God's heart for us, that's what can happen. Has anybody here ever seen a great concert? Can I see your hands, please? Can I see your hands, please? Online hands, you can do a little wave, whatever you want. Has anyone here ever, oh, I miss, has anyone here ever seen a play at the, on Broadway or in Toronto or at the NAC or in London or in your school, high school? Like, ever seen an amazing play or performance? How many of you know that to see a performance of a lifetime took uh, not maybe not a lifetime, but took an amount of work of practice, unglamorous practice, in order to hit a cue and to give a performance of a lifetime. The same thing with an athlete. The same thing oftentimes. In, it's, it's not the tip of the iceberg that you can see. It's the big gulp beneath it that actually does all these extraordinary things. The same is true for you and for I. It is working and engaging these spiritual disciplines because, again, often purpose, often what God has for me and for you doesn't come with, here's your dream, and this means that you're going to have a life of comfort and ease and money and success in front of you. No, what it means is, here's a dream, and to see it become a reality, you're going to have to work hard when no one sees and no one cares. You're going to have to deal with rejection. You're going to have to develop resiliency. People who you think are going to be with you all along the way are not going to go on the journey and it's going to break your heart and you're going to have to continually pick yourself up, allow God, not even you pick yourself, allow God to pick you up, bring healing as you keep going along the way. It is this unglamorous work. How many of you know that the world does not need any more or people? We need a lot more and people to get into the middle, to get hit by both sides because if we don't have more and people, we're going to tear each other apart. It is this unglamorous work of getting into the middle, saying, God, what can happen in this time and in this season? Jesus in the New Testament calls Peter, who is a fisherman, and God uses all of his unglamorous, 
all the unglamorous in his life. And there's this cue one day in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 to 20. It says, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. So they were just at work. They were doing what they do. What do you do every day? What you do every day, God can show up there. And here God shows up, and they were just fishermen. He says to them, follow me. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. Immediately, follow me and and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they leave their nets. And Jesus didn't say, like, follow me and I'm going to make you this world great apostle. He uses the language that they understand and says, just just follow me and I'm going to take what you're doing in the natural and I'm actually going to elevate your purpose. But this was a moment, again, they didn't have it on their calendar, but it was a defining moment for them to engage it. And now for the next three and a half years, their life isn't turned upside down, it's turned right side up. And everything that's inside of Peter, he is squeezed and it comes out. And there's some good things and there's some bad things. And he absolutely blows it in following Jesus time and time again. Yeah, he walks on water, but he also betrays Jesus. But what he finds is the God who is faithful to begin something is the God who will be faithful to see it through. It's why I said at the very beginning of this message, if you take your purpose or my purpose in being more like Jesus and you put perfection in the bullseye, you are going to put a straight jacket on yourself and a weight on your shoulders that is going to crush your heart and it's going to crush your dream. None of us are perfect. Every single one of us miss it and follow short. Don't put perfection in the center of it. Only Jesus actually had perfect clarity and perfect execution. We need perfect clarity and why we need clarity is because we mess up. When we break it, we're going to be in this moment, we want to disqualify ourselves, count ourselves as absolutely done like Peter did. But again, as I said a moment ago, the God who began it is going to be faithful to bring it through to completion. It's having clarity. God, you've called me. And so even if you brought me to here and by my own stupidity, I absolutely hit the ground. God, I thank you that on the ground I can learn about humility. I can learn about failure. I can learn about brokenness. And everyone else may count you out when you're on the ground, but you need to know that, God, if you called me, you're going to sustain me in this. You're going to bring me back up. And it may never mean that I have the same level of authority. It may never mean all those things. But God, it doesn't mean that my life is useless. Because you're the same one who called me in a moment. But again, if you have the straitjacket of perfection on the moment you fail, you're, that's it. You disqualify yourself. Here's a word that I think is so powerful. And I, and I lean into it with full sensitivity, full trepidation, full heart, trusting God that you're going to hear the heart of what I'm saying. Jesus calls Peter. I don't know if you've ever read Acts chapter 10 and chapter 11, but if you have, here's what you're going to discover about Peter. And please hear me with your whole heart and both your ears. Peter walks with Jesus for 24 hours a day, seven days a week for three and a half years. That's a lot of walking with Jesus. He betrays Jesus. Jesus restores him. He's absolutely restored. In Acts chapter 10, There's this moment where Peter, who is Jewish, is called to the Gentiles. And you know what you discover in Peter? After all of this time, he is still racist against people who are not Jewish. And Jesus keeps ministering in his life. And he uses his life to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. But there's this moment where he has this vision and his heart is absolutely ripped and rent, and he realizes, oh, 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 what God calls clean, how dare I call unclean? But it took Peter walking with Jesus three and a half years to see all these things, and still after that, his heart is still being transformed by God. 
we need to have our hearts consistently transformed by God. Absolutely, yes. But, whoa, do we have the courage to admit the stuff that's in there so that we can all be healed and transformed by Jesus. I'm glad that Jesus didn't give up on Peter. May we have the courage to, yes, love with boundaries if necessary, but not cancel and give up on one another. In Matthew, or sorry, Luke chapter 19, verse 8 to 10, there was a tax collector. Oh, what goes off in your heart when I say tax collector? Oh, well, what went off in your heart, multiply it by a little bit back there, a little bit more. Why? Well, because tax collectors in Jesus' time did not only take what was owed, they took much, much more. And because the Jewish people were under oppression of Rome, the oppression was not only from Romans, but from unjust tax collectors where they had no recourse to pull even more. I mean, they were just literally left with no defenses. Could you imagine this scene in Luke 19, verses 8 to 10? Jesus sees Zacchaeus sitting in a tree, and he says, out of everybody that day, I'm going to go to his house. Once again, I'm sure as Jesus walked along the road, Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Everybody wanted the tax collector to die, but Jesus said, no, I want them to have abundant life too. But Jesus also said, I can do nothing except the Father shows me and tells me to do. He's walking that day. I think there could have been some internal conversations between the Son and the Father. Are you sure you want me to go to his house today? Do you know what happens when I go to his house today? Like, Jesus said, Father, I've read how to win friends and influence people, and this is not it. They already hate me. They already can't stand me. Like, now you want me to go to his house? Yeah, I want you to go. So why, why did God want Jesus as the son to show up at Zacchaeus' house? Why? Because that one invitation changes Zacchaeus' life. And that everybody in the whole entire community that he has defrauded are going to be the recipients now of an outflow of generosity. Zacchaeus does not repay back dollar for dollar. He exceeds it extraordinarily. There is something that God can do by touching a heart. Here's what the scripture says. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, half the goods I give to the poor. My calculation, my math's not very good, but that's 50%. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold, not one time. And Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house, not because of what he was willing to do here, but because he opened up his heart, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And Jesus calls Paul, who is persecuting the church, and God uses all of the apostle Paul's self-righteousness in his life as a cue to plant churches, to be an apostle, and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write a third of the New Testament. And it is this moment, I want you just to see it. It says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, that's Paul, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you? Lord, he said, I am Jesus, the one who you're persecuting. But rise and enter the city. But rise and enter the city. That's it, that's it. I'm the one you're persecuting, pain. What do I do with this? How do I make amends? What's the next call? Just rise and enter the city. The Apostle Paul 
is wielded now into a corner. God didn't say in this moment, Paul, I'm going to use your life to write a third of the New Testament. I'm going to use your life as, an, as the, one of the greatest apostles that the world has ever known. People are going to talk about your life for the next 2,000 years. All he said to him was, I want you to rise and I want you to go into the city. That's it. That's what the cue and that's what the step looked like. Just be obedient to do what I'm asking you to do. For Peter, again, it started with a choice. Do I follow Jesus or not? Do I keep fishing or do I follow? For Zacchaeus, it started with a choice. Do I have lunch with Jesus or not? For Paul, it started with a choice. Do I trust Jesus to simply rise and enter the city or not? Each found a different clue, each found a different cue, yet each followed a different purpose. Yet they all shared one thing in common. Each summoned the courage to make their next step, even if it was small, an obedient step in following Jesus. And so please hear me today as we close. To live more like Jesus, to live more like Jesus, like this big sign behind me, direction matters much more than your dream. To live more like Jesus, in my 47 years of life in understanding Scripture, here's what I understand. It's not that I don't care about your dream, I do. But direction matters a whole lot more than your dream. That's what we can see. Because each one in the Old Testament and in the New that we've read today, each one took a small step, yet it was in the direction that God was leading them. Does it really matter how big the step or big the dream is if your desire is leading you in the wrong direction? Does it really matter? No, direction trumps size of dream every single day. As long as we're taking the steps in the right direction. You say, well, what happens if I get off kilter? What happens if I, hey, listen, you, have, you and I have a God who can renew, redeem, restore, redirect. God is good. Once again, I mean, this is an old Craig Rochelle line, but I think it's perfect for right here. How many of you in your phones have a GPS or have a Google Maps? Can I see your hands, please? On lights, hands, 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 right? We put that thing up there and we trust that it knows where it's taken us. We need more faith in God than we do our GPSs. If you get off kilter, Wherever you're off kilter, make your next step an obedient step and you're moving in the right direction again. Right? It, may, it may take you a little while to get there, but you're moving now in the right direction in which God intended. Maya Angelou said, do the best you can until you know better. And then when you know better, do better. It's easier said than done, but it's wise word. Here's how the wisest man summed up life, Solomon. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Here's what it boils down to. Fear God and keep his commandments. In other words, do what he's calling us to do. For this is the whole duty of man. This is the whole duty of humanity. To be like Jesus, we need to make following Jesus our life's priority. And from there, like Nehemiah, David, Ruth, Peter, Zacchaeus, and Paul, chase every clue and cue and have the courage to listen and engage those moments. And when we hear them and we see them and we perceive them, have the courage to take that next obedient single step. I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine with me right now what the world could be if we placed our primary priority on living more like Jesus. Final thought is this as we begin to get ready for next week. This week's a little bit more subdued. Next week, we're going to get a little bit more passionate. Here's what I want. This is Lee Dominique said this. When God wants to bless you, he brings you a person. And when the enemy wants to destroy you, 
He brings you a person. And you have to discern between the two. And not every critic is wrong. And not every friend is right. We need to learn the difference between condemnation and discernment, both of which come out of the word judgment. See, purpose is an easy topic to discuss until we get to the necessity of other people. And then when we get to other people, then the fun really begins. But that's for next week. May the Lord bless you and may he keep you. Kayla? Wonderful. Well, I don't know about you, but the wheels are turning in my head. I was like, ooh, ooh, yes, yes. So I pray that as you go today, that it wouldn't just be a word for this service, but that you would actually meditate it on it. And like I encouraged the kids earlier, like take a moment and say like, God, how are you calling me to live more like you in regards to purpose? Like it's not just something for our kids to engage with, but all of us to engage with. And I just want to actually make a little note for a fun activity that if you want to also jump in on. Our Life Kids, we posted on Facebook this week, our Life Kids are actually, we have a gratitude challenge because we know Thanksgiving is coming up. I know you're like, oh, no, not yet. We still have time, but Thanksgiving is coming up and we want to take this time to be super intentional in how we are being grateful to the Lord and grateful in every season. So here's what it is. It's a 21-day gratitude challenge and every day for the next three weeks, you'll see it on the Facebook. There's a link. We have different challenges of way that you can be grateful. So whether it's a message to a friend or taking a little note and you'll see there's just ways that families and, and, and even you as maybe it's your home campus, maybe it's with a couple of friends that you can challenge one another to be grateful. Maybe it's with your spouse or significant other. I would encourage you to do it because God is so good. And he, like Pastor Jay said, he's constantly leading us and guiding us. And we have so much to be grateful for. So we want to remind you of that. Feel free to engage. If you have any questions, send us an email. With that being said, online, we say goodbye to you for now. We say bless you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us, Canada and Cornwall and every single home campus. You are so loved. And we will see you next week.